0: Welcome to the Security Today Podcast. I'm your host, Uncle Bear, and I am back for another week with bid to bank This podcast is brought to you by Sprinter Business Solutions, so check them out at SprinterIT.com. And this segment, we are trying to sit down with some of the best entrepreneurs out there in the security world and go over... Um, some of the sections that work your way from the very beginnings of the bid all the way to putting the cash in the bank And I am here again with with another one. Um, I'm excited about this one I've had a lot of guys on here that I actually have known and have uh, Communicated with a lot and uh, I finally started branching out And so one of the first ways that I wanted to go is with uh, Chad Lingafell here with Lockdoc. Um, and so you, you can uh, follow them on Instagram. I've been following them for quite a while uh, as they've grown into multiple storefronts. And the business is you know, actually running itself now, as Chad's going to get into. But um, I wanted to have him on here and to kind of go through uh, the bid-to-bank process of, of maybe how LockDoc does it or, or has done it to get to where they're at and uh so we'll let chad introduce himself here but thank you so much for coming on the podcast i really appreciate you being here and uh, i can't wait to get into some of these questions today
1: yeah man hey thank you very much for inviting me on it's uh as i said earlier it's very odd uh for me to be on this side of the uh the interview and i'm um, pretty excited about it but again it's pretty cool to meet we've never met in person before but uh, obviously uh follow each other on on the world of social media and so i mean you're you you're p- pretty famous so that's probably <laughs> one of the highest profile people that i've spoken with in quite some time so thank you for allowing me to come on
0: <laughs> not a problem it's a niche famous it's like maybe 12 guys think i'm pretty cool but <laughs> But um, yeah, so let's just get directly into it then. Um, So where we start on this podcast is usually with the marketing and sales. So uh, maybe give us, before you jump into this question, which I'll ask first, but then give us a little rundown of LockDoc, uh, where you came into the scene and that sort of thing. But after you do that, maybe then you can tell us um, some of the different types of marketing software or sales tech that you've used over the time that you've been um, with. LockDoc that has helped you acquire some of the jobs that has helped the business grow.
1: Very, very very cool. All right. Well, so LockDoc as a whole, just to kind of paint a picture, you can obviously find out a lot about it at LockDoc.net, L-O-C-D-O-C. Fortunately, the founder of the company decided to leave the Ks off, so that's always been a fun thing for us. But um the uh the company was founded in the early 80s uh well before my time uh, involvement with it but since i've been here myself and my business partner chris lowry we have worked diligently to try to create a uh, organization that one um it's focused on helping our customers protect their people and their property that's really what we do every single day we solve people's problems around the world of security um from locksmithing all the way to electronic security and we've just tried to compile a team together of people that are excited to do the same thing. Um, one of the things that we found out was if we follow some of the things that we'll probably be talking about today in a very simplistic form, it opens us up to a lot of customers that really are looking for the type of services that we provide and offer. And so it's provided us the opportunity to continue to expand that. So started as a headquarters, very small in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, in 2000 and. Nineteen, We did our first small acquisition of another company. 2020 was our second acquisition, which was uh, down in uh, the Anderson, South Carolina area, just south of Greenville, South Carolina. And that was our first really branch into retail and then expanding service offerings there. We just recently, within the last couple of months, launched down in Charleston, South Carolina. And we've got kind of future plans to continue to spin those up across North and South Carolina. Uh, Currently, we're sitting at uh, just around 40 employees. And um, uh, that's pretty much the makeup of of what we do on a current uh, day-to-day right now is is we play in the commercial space exclusively and uh, support our uh, customer base in that that side of things. From a marketing standpoint, um, it's it's an interesting question, especially around software. So – you know, obviously, you know, base level is SEO, uh, website, and all those types of things. Outside of that, uh, we don't really use any marketing software. Um, we have tried to create a social presence and brand awareness, you know, to use the the corporate buzzwords. But we've tried to, you know, make the the green uh, stick out, right? So when people are uh, driving down the street and they see like, the awning of our building that I'm sitting in right now is lime green um and you it's hard to miss it all of our vehicles have a consistent um uh logo and design on it obviously to stand out and to um uh, to to have a presence there marketing's tactics outside of that we are very much relationship driven um and that's how we have structured our sales organization that's how we've structured um what we do is we at, at all costs are really focused on helping our customers protect their people on their property. And we do that through relationships. So we're heavily involved in industry networks, uh, for the type of customers that we, um, work well with. So commercial property management, we'll take that as a, as a, uh, as an element. We are, uh, involved in, uh, a, an organization called IRAM, uh, the international real estate management, um, uh, organization network, whatever it's called. Anyways, uh, they are focused on educating real estate uh, property management for commercial. And so they have industry partners. We're industry partner. We show up at the events. We support the events. We sponsor the events and basically just continue to make relationships there. But there's BOMA. um, There is uh, uh, Crew um, I mean you can list uh, probably a dozen different uh, network and in, industry networks that are that way and they and it, and if you go hey well I don't really want to play in the commercial real estate market I want to play in you know K through 12 well there's K through 12 networks as well and so it's really wherever the the market is that you're trying to go that's how we found the most success outside of that and that is str- strictly based on the fact that we are hardcore business to business b2b um, you know, focused on the commercial aspect. And we're not typically looking for somebody to just dial us on, um, you know, through Google or whatever. So we have a web presence and we focus heavily on that. um, And we want to capture the social and uh, and the uh, SEO standpoint, but we don't do a whole lot on marketing software. If that answers your question. Yeah,
0: definitely. That is awesome. So I feel like That's not been an answer yet, this is why I kind of love this segment because you get into it and you get these new answers which just flower all these questions in my head. So when you are um, helping that relationship in those those events Mm -hmm. and those sort of things, you're talking about like when you say events, is it like maybe like a networking event at a restaurant or a bar or is it like a convention center, what does that look like?
1: yeah, so uh, good question. So Iram does monthly luncheons where they they have a a subject matter expert that comes in to talk about you know city infrastructure, yeah. you know whatever whatever because that's relevant to facility managers and um and then you have an opportunity as an industry partner to help sponsor that so you you pay for the lunch or maybe just have a booth or whatever they all will typically have an annual trade show where they will have a two-day event they've got tons of education and then they have a trade show there as well um but they also have uh fun entertainment events our local iram chapter because they have a lot of autonomy to be able to select and choose whatever they want to do they came to us because we're big on coffee around here uh, they said, hey, will you put on a class around how to make coffee? Okay, cool. So we put on uh, an, a morning event uh, where they brought in facility managers and property managers, and we did a full-on. I, I, I think we have a video of it somewhere, but it was freaking awesome. Um, we did, because you know in, in our office here, we have a full coffee bar. Um, we did showed them how to make espresso. Uh, showed them how to make siphon brew, pour over, uh, French press, and then talked through the different elements about how, what a, the origins of coffee beans and different grinding grinding methods and all that stuff. Way nerd stuff on coffee that you would not expect. You come to a locksmith company and you think you're going to hear about how to cut a key, and we're sitting there telling them the temperature rating for water to pour into their coffee because we're passionate yeah. about it, and. We had people hang out for an hour afterwards. One asking us more about what we did, but just having curious conversation because we provided something to them that was not just your standard. These are the products and services that we offer. So just trying to get unique, and that's because that's something that we're passionate about. You might be passionate about something completely different. Um, I've heard of people that do. uh, They did um, this one guy was like really big on low country boils, and so they did a whole class on that it's it's whatever you're passionate about trying to take it outside of the 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 direct service that you offer but creating that connection point there so there's a lot of those types of events um and and they're churning them up all the time because they're trying to create additional value for their industry as well versus just showing up and doing their work
0: so when you show up to the those events or um or you're hosting them and you're with those people Mm -hmm. you're approaching it from a standpoint of just opening a relationship saying hi i'm chad how's it going yeah you've lived around here you know we share similar things with kids it's not necessarily like you're immediately trying to sell the product and service that's behind you
1: for sure and and to be very clear one um this may be shocking but i am heavily introverted and i absolutely hate (laughs) those networking events like that is I would I don't there's many things that I'd rather do besides go to one of those. Um, it's just not my forte. We have people that really enjoy it and are really good at it. It's one of the reasons why I sit behind a microphone a lot is because I feel more comfortable talking like this than I would going and making small talk at a network event. Again, trying to ease into what you're comfortable with. But yes, it's all about just making relationships, making connections. And not trying to sell like that's one of the things that we I, and I don't say that specifically for our company. We are not heavily focused on trying to sell somebody something. And going back to what I said earlier, the way we've structured our sales organization, we look for we hire people based off of their personality type that are relationship builders, not salespeople. Uh, we want people that can build relationships, connect with people, listen to people and respond like that's really what we're going after we're not going after the aggressive hardcore cold call salesperson because i feel like that just puts a bad taste in uh, for our industry mm-hmm. because you're overly if you're trying to oversell something yeah
0: awesome awesome um okay cool well so that's that's great uh marketing strategy wise um especially with i like that you guys are using consistent colors or you're using something to pop I feel like in our industry, um, maybe the people that I've had conversations with that run their own security stuff or they're doing their own low-volt stuff or even AV sometimes, uh, they kind of forget Mm -hmm. the aspect of what they're appearing as because they know so much technical information that that's what they're good at. And Mm -hmm. so once you get them behind a rack or once you get them at a, a doorknob or something like that, they're wizards. But to think about that view from the outside not needing a locksmith and then seeing one um anything else on that 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 you guys use marketing wise
1: here's the thing like i i think i'm i feel like i'm very fortunate from a standpoint the way that i grew up a lot of my um a lot of my family heritage was all around pulling a kind of a package together and saying hey you know not only here's the real content, so we don't want to fluff the content more than it is, but here's content, and then here's an actual package around the content. Um, and and that's what, you know, when I came to Lock Dock Security, before it was, and it was just called Lock Dock Inc., and the vans, we had five vans on the road, plain white Ford Econoline vans. Uh, nobody had any clue as to who we were. We wore ugly uh, polo shirts with a logo that was blended in that you couldn't even see um you know no branding no business cards like it was it was just nothing and um you know again i I came from a from um an industry out of high school and, and early in my adulthood that was radio advertising and radio broadcast and and when you're in that world uh telling people who you are is very important Um, and having a consistent brand. So, you know, even from a tagline, if you're now, whatever medium that you listen to things on is having a constant tagline, creating that brand persona, right? And so as we started to develop, you know, lock and tried to bring it into some more of a, a a actual branding concept, it was just that like, how do we create a, a logo that is defined, refined, and marketable, and then start to plaster it on everything you know and we've gone through a couple of iterations where we're landed out right now obviously i think is the best that we've had (laughs) to this point you can look back and some we had some pretty rough stuff out there but you know one of the first big things that we did in 2012 was we um were involved in a network that had co-branding or co-op dollars and we as a small company that didn't have a whole lot of cash utilize that opportunity to help uh logo and brand our vans and it was a game changer for us because immediately overnight it was like we were on the radar we were literally nobody knew us unless you knew us we were we were just completely under the radar and so once we saw that as a company and i i don't want to pretend like i had this vision of like this is the way it's going to work but once we saw it come to fruition we were like oh we should probably do more of this. Like, uh, you know, how, how do we do... And then it's it's like started... The coffee cup stuff really came from beating our heads against the wall because the typical thing, and I, I'll tell you this one little short story, hopefully, and not go crazy on a rant on your, on your no, uh, recording good. here. But we historically... Gave away. We I had a, a select number of clientele that we would go to every year and give them a Christmas basket, and so it was a curated basket of of consumable goods, and uh, we would put a small sticker on it or leave a handwritten note that said, "You know, thanks for your business, Lock Duck Security." And I was a part of this process for two years and was watching it and said how do these people know one that this is from us and two after this food is gone like what we're we're over like you we had our 13 seconds (laughs) of of notice right and so we started going back through it was like what do people have with them all the time that's one not seasonal and something that's on their desk right something that they can use on a regular basis and so we landed on this idea of doing a coffee cup um and so because i said i thought it was like If it's a good coffee cup and it's reusable and it's nice, appealing, then it's going to sit on somebody's desk. And any time that they're drinking it and they see Lock Dock or whatever, then it's a a visual reminder. And if I can get that thing sitting on their desk close to six months out of a year, then that's a huge win, right? Like you talk, talk about ROI on marketing. I can put a $3 mug on somebody's desk for six months and it costs me pennies a day. So we went in and it and the the, the story that I like to tell people because this is honest to god truth we were so cash strapped the first year that we did this and I still have one of the cups because I've I procured one of them it's on the shelf in our swag room uh we dialed it down to the exact number we ran a spreadsheet we needed 232 cups because that's all we could afford and that's ex- the exact number that we were going to give out had it spreadsheeted every customer how many they were going to get. And we distributed two hundred and thirty-two cups minus the one that I have sitting on the shelf in there. Um and and it worked, and we got a lot of response on it. And then when we went back the second year and handed out the next set of coffee cups, people came out in the parking lot with their dot coffee cup drinking out of it when we handed them the second one. I was like this is the most amazing thing. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of our, has been our deal, right, for the, for the last number of years is that's what we do is we give people coffee cups and it sits on their desk. It's a, it's a front of mind. So that's, to your question about branding and the importance of it, I've got tens of thousands of green coffee cups in various sizes and shapes like you see behind me all across the country, but specifically focused around North and South Carolina. We're known for it people enjoy them, and some people have collected all of them, and they'll they send us photographs of them all the time, and that's really, like, you're winning at that point from a branding standpoint because people are excited to drink out of your coffee cup, so they're not going to forget mm. about you.
0: That is, that's solid right there. That's these, I, I talk about these gold nuggets, or sometimes I say they're ripe peaches within the um, podcast. Sure. Like, it's like in the podcast as we're talking about everything, it's like someone walking through a peach grove and it's like there's these ripe ones there. Yeah. And, and that's definitely, definitely one of them. Um, moving from the marketing and sales going into kind of the engineering and quoting. And I know that we were talking before the podcast mm-hmm. got started that the business is kind of running itself now and uh, your role looks different mm-hmm. than it did five, 10 years ago. But from mm-hmm. the from when you came in and you know you were in the white plane... Econo line vans to uh where you're at now. Uh yeah. what what sort of methods and maybe tools did you use from the quoting side of things to help streamline those processes?
1: Okay, this is something that I'm excited about and very passionate about because this is the one of the few things. Like I I feel like a lot of times I people talk to talk about lockdoc around marketing. Because that's some of the th- that's what's out there visible. Our functional operations and processes is really the probably one, the one of the biggest thing that I'm excited about because it's very transitional and it is built something that has a lot more um, uh, fundamentally sound uh, components of it than really anything. So when I first arrived at Lockdoc, it was paper, pencil, Nextel, direct connects. <laughs> like that's the way we ran business yeah um and when we the the problem that we were having was to put a proposal together so a customer calls us we go out and we look at their facility Like, oh man you know at that time this is going to be a four-door access control system this is going to be amazing the amount of time that it took us to write up all the information that we needed precisely measure all of the cabling that we needed and all the components then price it out from a supplier and then figure out how to put a proposal together and send it to them was one incredibly long. Um, it could have taken two weeks to do that. Then they sit on it for a month and then they approve it. Okay. So the customer then says, yes, we're ready to go. Now we have to go back and figure out what in the world we quoted, where we got our pricing from, how in the world we're going to go back and do this again. Cause we're now at a two month mm-hmm. spread. And so the very first thing that we did is you know, give you like a little bit of a timeline transition here so the very first thing that i did uh, when it came to that was create a, um, a an excel spreadsheet at that time which had one tab that was resourcing all of our services one tab that resourced um, all of our uh, or a, a large number of our materials and then it ha- it was, was was like a six tab spreadsheet Horrid, horrible, by the way. like I'm terrible at Excel, uh, so don't pretend like I'm an Excel expert. But it was a methodology of trying to figure out how we get things organized and structured. So the first tab, you would put in a list of your materials and services, and then you could resource them from the other tabs that you had. And then you could flip to the second tab, and it would take all that data and basically make a customer version of it. So it simplified everything, you know, hid part numbers and whatever else that we wanted to do, and then created, like, a printable pdf or a printable document that we could uh, share with the customer and that that was the first time that we had a a real organization around what we quoted where we got pricing from and what we said that we were going to do so once it was approved then all we had to do was go back to that file and we could pick up and go from there so that was early iteration Uh, and then everything, the, the challenge that we ran into there, that was everything was named a common name. So it was like, you know, Bob's convenience store, four door access control. And it was like, what did I name that (laughs) file? You know, so if you go back in, so that was, that was like phase one. So we were from paper and pencil and then we went to an Excel spreadsheet, huge improvements. And that took us from, you know, four guys to six or seven pretty rapidly just by that alone because at that point the work was done and you could hand that over to really anybody and they could know exactly what needed to be done previous it was chicken scratch on a piece of paper you know backs back side of a napkin side side vent i'll come back to this uh, real quick second day on the job i was riding with a guy he was at the back of his van nextel direct connect called in to dispatch hey what do i need to where do i need to go next the dispatcher starts telling him where he needs to go he grabs a paper cup and writes down his job on a paper cup okay takes a last final swig of that paper cup tosses it in the trash can and we jump in the van and he's like where are we supposed to go i was like well you wrote it down on that cup that you just (laughs) threw away and he's like ah man and so he's got to climb back dig through his trash can to figure out where we're going to go anyways so we we progress from that (laughs) to spreadsheets and then uh, basically went into our kind of, kind of today mode, right? Where we we build our own CRM, we build our own uh, quoting and dispatch software. So a a account manager now goes out and does a site walk. They tag doors with a QR code, take photographs of the inside and outside of the door, bring it back. They can do it in their vehicle or they can do it you know on their mobile device. But a lot of them do it at the desk, and then they lay out basically. The detailed uh task list description assigned to the doors with parts and services and then once it's approved it just goes through this mass amount of automation that sends it to purchasing purchasing knows what parts they're supposed to order gets the project manager the project manager knows what order it's supposed to be done and then there's this whole level of visibility Um, so the progression of a chicken scratch which uh, again every element that we saw through business growth allowed for a cap so chicken scratch and uh, handwritten estimates can take you to a certain amount of revenue but it has its limitations because it's stuck with one person in one person's head spreadsheet took us to the next level of iteration and allowed another level of revenue but it had its limitations because of the way that it was structured now into where we're at um, it's almost limitless because whoever does the work so as long as they do it correctly um, it can be passed on anybody and there's no questions about it because it's all documented it's pretty much a walk through the building and you can see the photographs and you know exactly what's supposed to be done so it's transferable and scalable at a higher level
0: you guys built that yourselves
1: Yeah, so we purchased, we went through several iterations of software development over the years. That's probably its own separate podcast, but um, we landed in the late 2009, 2010 era with a platform that allows you to build software on top of it. And so uh, we have had multiple iterations of it to this point, but everything that we've done has been in-house. We've got one additional security company that's licensed on it right now and we we're continuing to work to try to make it an easier onboard for licensing on it so you can think um you know esc but better uh uh, uh, service fusion any of those companies out there any of those pieces of software very similar to that but very catered to the locksmith and security industry because we really focus around openings and master key system management and then attach all the other components back to it
0: now, when you were starting to build that, or looking towards the future, thinking we need what you have today in place, what, mm-hmm. where would someone, where would someone begin to um, develop that in their head or in a paper? Is it is it through Google searching and just figuring out what works, or did you delegate it out to hiring someone who is more of an expert on it, or something like that?
1: Yeah, so the early iterations, I mean, you got to think back, 2010, you know, this company was, 2010, barely, maybe barely touching a million dollars in revenue. Um, Everybody, all hands on deck were doing the work, right? So there's not a lot of spare cash sitting around in, in an organization like that. So a lot of it was you know passion type projects like we want to try to g- build something that's going to benefit us because we've got a chasm now and you also have to think back and it I feel like I date myself and and I'm sitting here you know seeing my reflection on the screen and see gray hair on the <laughs> side of my head which really makes me feel old but the uh, there there wasn't a lot of software and there wasn't web based software in 2010 like that was a whole different era you got to think that was two years after the iPhone was released, like it it was a whole different world. Um, Having internet on, having internet accessible while you're driving around was a very new concept Mm -hmm. at that point. So, but we had, we were a mobile service company and we needed to have information available uh, instantaneously, you know, in real time, just like you expect today. We needed it back then so there wasn't a whole lot to work with but the concept that we had was every door that we touch is its unique con- is its unique thing right now we may do a lock and a key on one door and we may do a door closer on another door and we may put a new lock set and we may put a key card system on another door like they all have their variations of it but they all come back to an opening and so as we started to develop it that was just kind of our core component is every door is or every opening really is its own individual individual unique thing and we don't really care a whole lot else around it it's there and it's attached to a building and we have a collection of those and then we also have key systems that we have to manage and those were the two unique things that there's not any software out there that really brought all that together especially at that point and then t- on top of that dispatching so um so most every company that i know of has you know a um what do you call it a a stack of software that they utilize to be able to deploy that so we go here for dispatching and we go here for this information here for this information and we just wanted to bring it all together to where i'm a technician and i show up on a job site and i go yep i'm here at this facility this is the door i'm working on and this is what it's keyed to and this is what i changed it to and this let me charge for the services and move on like it should just be that simple so that's that's where we started from there wasn't a whole lot of architecture around it and I, to to answer your question it was whiteboards um you know i've got probably a thousand photographs of whiteboards with random diagrams going hey what if we connect this to this and move this to here will it work and then you test it you try it it fails it sucked you fix it you try it again and then you know finally you land on something that's uh, that's functional
0: can you speak to maybe some of the importance of finding the time to do that, as also being the owner? Because I feel like a lot of guys, yeah, who are in the field and they might even have guys, but they're running their own shop too. Mm-hmm. It's I know that the locksmith I worked for, it was like hard pressed to get him to sit down and just like dream about mm-hmm. something because he had to get it work done, you know. So can you touch yeah. on that a little bit?
1: so again you, you get into some passion points for me so same thing right like you, you and we talked about this i think before we started i started as a rookie locksmith i ran a service truck like i i've been through all the iterations um uh, the the uh the theory was we We're spending more time. It's like this realization that you're spending more time doing it the hard way than stopping and trying to figure out how to do it the right way. Now, if I were to say I had a crystal ball and understood all that at that time would be absolutely ridiculous. But we did just hardcore stuff. Um, Go run a service truck, do the day-to-day business during the normal day, and then 4 o'clock in the afternoon, 5 o'clock in the afternoon – Uh, I would get started on these types of things. Me and my business partner, would get started on these types of things and I would work until 10, 11 o'clock at night on them. Uh, we did all day build out sessions on a Saturday and a Sunday. Um, I mean, just some, some crazy stuff, you know, but it was, there were points through business growth that you are in, you are, have such pain right around what you're doing that you're willing to do anything to change it so um, I and then you know built in kind of unique to me or maybe not unique to me but part of my personality is um, that I can go hardcore to for kind of the next level right so if I can see that there's light at the end of the tunnel then let's put our nose down. If it's gonna put us 100 hours in that we've got to do this and we can get some reprieve from it, then let's go do that. Um, And so, you know, the phrase that you hear is working on your business and not in your business. And here's the situation. This is what I've kind of come to realize. A lot of practitioners, so small business owners that run the business and are really, really good at what they do, they're really good technicians, really good locksmiths, whatever they don't have so as a as a point of reference through personality assessments they are highly skeptical individuals with a very low trust level of people so that's going to put me in a position where i struggle to trust that people are going to do things the right way and i'm the only one that can do it correctly when i get myself locked into that mental position then i am a uh I'm holding back other people from excelling and I am putting myself in a position where I have to be the expert on everything. So therefore I don't have time to go in and fix things or put effort into trying to improve the business as a whole, because I'm literally stuck in, I have to solve every problem. And so people are listening to this and they're going to go, yeah, that's my business. I I got, you know, I'm the, I'm the only one that knows how to do it right. Well, at a point you have to realize that you are not the only one that can do it right. And you're going to have to implement trust with other people. Now that's an easier said than done, but that's the sticking point where you see a lot of businesses hit a plateau. So they've hired people and maybe they've hired four or five people, maybe six, maybe seven. And they're like, man, I can't, the statement that they'll typically make is man, it's hard to find good people. I can't, I can't find any good people. Well, They're stuck at that point and they will never excel past that particular point of revenue or people because they have yet to figure out how to trust people and release control of certain aspects of their business so that they can go work on the next level of accelerated growth. And that'll happen. And they'll have, seven people and they'll hire one and they'll let go of one or somebody will quit and they'll be in a spin cycle and they'll never be able to figure out how to get out of it because they have yet to figure out how to trust the fact that other people can do things as equally good as them or potentially better if they got out of the way.
0: Preach. (laughs) I've felt that in uh, almost every uh, position, every role, every van, every phone call that um clients, you know that you've had to make that so that is that that is the um the battle you know the bramble of like mm-hmm. cutting through the the hard stuff and realizing that if you work on yourself if you work on your business mm-hmm. if you turn inward reflect grow and take the time and put focused concentration into it It will actually pay you in dividends on the other side like it'll it'll pay you back the time that you thought you were losing by stopping and working on it
1: yeah and again let's be very clear on this like if i i'm i'm i am at a position right now where i can look in retrospect and say that this is what's happened when i was in the moment there was levels of is this going to work is this going to work and i can say now pretty confidently that it it does um you you just have to make sure you have the right people on your team and trust them and at the end of the day now this is one benefit that i have from from uh how i'm wired is um i if if it doesn't work out if there is failure if somebody does let me down i'm pretty adaptable to starting over and 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 not letting it hold me down right so We've had issues. We've had mistakes. We've had people that have not made good decisions, and, and we've had to grow from that and learn. But I can say this. At a level of, at, at a point, and I would say, let's, let's just bounce back to, say, 2013, 2012, 2013, 10 years ago, a decade ago now. Wow. Um, I pr- had a, a level of pride and arrogance, maybe some ego, that I was probably the most knowledgeable of all of our systems, most knowledgeable of how to get everything done. And I could sit behind a desk and really direct everybody in what needed to be done and have all the answers to all the questions. Um, And I can say now a decade later that I am probably one of the least knowledgeable about everything that we do and all the systems that we touch and all the things that we do. And there are people that are in our organization that are, significantly wiser smarter more intelligent and sharper on those things than I am and it is now my level of pride and arrogance and excitement of uh, the fact that we do have those smart people here and that they can do things you know if we go back to the spreadsheet example I was the only person in our organization at that point that could have put that spreadsheet together and I probably had help at that point now I've got a guy on our team that can shoot out and make some incredible Google sheets for anything that you need. And he can do it in about uh, a a quarter of the time that it would take me to do it. And that's an excellent component because that frees me up to have one, these conversations, but it frees me up to talk to business leaders that are 10 times our size and can consult with me on things that I need to be working on now to grow our business, to get to that point. I can't do that by being the smartest guy and being the one that can do all the spreadsheets and the one that can know all about the master key systems and the one that can know all about the access control systems that we do. I I have to release those out to other people and those people that have those responsibilities now do them with such excellence because we released it to them and put them in responsibility of those uh, particular tasks. I think I went off the rails on that that, one, but I I I like
0: how it was like (laughs) the bid in engineering turns out to be, um, engineering yourself, putting yourself up for the bid, you know? Um, so that's excellent. Um, moving from that bid engineering, quoting, you know, using that and getting into the project Mm -hmm. management side of things as the, the project is going through its life cycle. What do you feel like are maybe the two most critical moments in completing the job um, as, as the boots hit the ground and
1: mm-hmm. communication is one, like it's and it, it, easy for anybody to say that. Right. But communication is huge. So I've failed at this a lot. And a lot of the things that I've learned over the years is because I'm a moron in some aspects. Like I've made bad decisions. I talk about this a lot and I tell our team this quite frequently, uh, cause it's, it's ingrained in my head. At one point, we had the largest estimate, the largest quote, and the largest project that we had ever had at that point. It was $150,000. And I did not communicate well with the um, developer, and they pulled me off the project. So I had a $150,000 project that was record-breaking, and then it got taken away from me. And it was embarrassing. It was gut-wrenching. Because I had told everybody in the company, guys, we got this really great opportunity. It's going to be amazing. And then I had to walk in and say, sorry, guys, I lost it because I didn't communicate. The lesson that I learned from it, going back to what I was just talking about earlier, is too much control, too much under my plate, right, or on my plate, too many things that I'm responsible for, and not letting somebody else take responsibility for it. So it put me at a cap, which means we as an organization could not take on a project of that size because we were too busy and i was too busy focusing on the ten thousand dollar jobs okay so communication is huge so now moving into this phase of where we're at you know we have a lot of automation so we've got a lot of emails that go out as soon as a quote is approved as soon as it's converted to a site visit and soon as things are done we get these email alerts that send out to a customer to let them know and connect the project manager that person but the initial site, you know, and the turnaround time from communication. So our sales team is, uh, is committed to trying to get quotes, turned around in 24 hours because it's communication, right? So if, if you want to have a uh, successful project and you want to have a successful completion of a project, it all starts with communication at the very beginning. And throughout people are easy to work with across the board, as long as you keep them in the loop of what's happening and because there's going to be hiccups there's going to be road bumps no project is perfect but the problems that happen are typically around what you'll see there's this weird cycle that happens in the world of project management so you find somebody that doesn't communicate well and so they get started on a project and they forget about something and they forget to tell somebody about something and then they they uh so then weeks down the line that pops up as an emergency so I forgot to schedule John to be out there in two weeks to pull a permit or whatever. Well, now two weeks later, everybody's waiting for that to happen and I forgot about it. So now I have to drop everything that I'm doing and retool and get somebody there. Well, what happens when that takes place is whatever they were actively working on gets put on pause. So now I've got six plates spinning simultaneously because I failed to communicate on the progression and communicate on follow-up. So those are key, right? follow-up communication are really two of the big factors in that and that may be very simplistic in thought but it's the the it's the thing that i've found to be the most uh taxing and the way that we've tried to work with it is simplify everything down into a task so you need a permit it's a task you need to schedule a site walk it's a task you need to uh, set up training it's a task like figure out a way to break all of those steps down to where it can be highly visible and you can see every component of that process and every component of that project and you can know if it's happened or not because when you don't have that then that's when you typically are bouncing around and everything's an emergency
0: yeah yeah we were we were talking about um, you you'd seen will Houston was Stice Locke, that was his kind of main thing too on Bid to Bank. He talked about that line of communication. And the more and more people I talk to who are running their show and the more that in in my role that I have to communicate with the client or communicate with operations, it is, uh, it's so central that you can communicate. And um, the, it's also not – it's not like abundantly common. Um, it feels – that that is a that that is something that people usually lack in and uh it's kind of makes you wonder
1: well it's common in the trades uh it's common in the the service industry so i'm uh in the midst right now of uh i purchased a a new construction home and the process of which that has happened uh and the follow-up on that is horrendous so i'm living this in real time right now Yeah, I've got a list of things that are supposed to be done and there's no follow-up. There's no communication. When is it going to happen? Nobody knows. Is it going to happen? Nobody knows. When you ask about it, you might get an answer back in a couple of days. Like there's no consistency and there's no visibility. Um, and 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 if you dive into the real guts about it, it's the fact that the people that are managing those things are so saturated with work And they don't have a good way to follow up or a good way to stay on top of it so what you were just talking about even in your role having even if even if it's not provided for you through your current you know project management system or whatever is literally and this is i did this um, when i started down early in early in the days like i've gone through different iterations right so early in the days when i was doing effectively project management sales purchasing and all that stuff Um, and, uh, before it got out of control and I had to, to, to delegate, I had a literal sheet of paper on my desk and I wrote down to do list every day, what I was supposed to prioritize. And then I would work and check them off, check them off, check them off. And all of my notes were there. And then before I left that desk at the end of the day, I took anything that I would not completed and wrote it on the next day's task list before I left so i knew exactly what needed to be ha- what needed to happen the first thing that it came in and it was the most productive most communicative that i'd ever been in any roles and it was so rudimentary so analog we're in a th- completely different world right now where you've got so many screens and so many uh, productivity apps that can push all that information to you but just as simple as si- something as simple as that completely changes the game um, and as long as you're staying consistent with it and true to whatever principle that is it's literally People are very, very okay with delays as long as they know where things are at in the progress. Nobody wants surprises and nobody wants to get put off. So as long as you have a method, either in software or analog, that you can stay on top of that. Um, And then, you know, the biggest thing is when you're trying to scale is how do you replicate that and have a consistency? Because the way I might do it may be different than the way that two other project managers may do it. And then you start to have breakdown in consistency. So that's where, you know, a software and management all those things come in play
0: yeah and you're you're hitting the nail right on the head with i think i read something just this week about it it just simply said success is consistency so it is it is mm-hmm. making sure that it's not only consistent across the board like you're talking about that everybody is kind of playing by the same rules so that when they do communicate they're not talking soccer to mm-hmm. football you know or something like that um right. but also staying at You know at it and taking at the end of the day taking that two minutes to put those things you didn't complete on next day's list uh can can Mm. change the game just like you said
1: one thing that i've seen and i'll try to keep this as short and concise as possible i've had a, a unique opportunity to go to a lot of manufacturing facilities and where we don't manufacture anything, we're not, a, 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 you know, we're not putting pieces of things together, there's a lot to be learned about the way that they do things consistently. So if you, if you were to think in terms of, so we can talk about locks, but let's just take it out of that into car manufacturing. If every person on the assembly line decided that they were going to assemble a car in a little bit of a different way because it suits them best, what kind of safety ratings do you think would be out there for any car manufacturer? Because, well, Bob decides that he likes to put the seats on last and instead of third like he's supposed to. So sometimes the seats don't get bolted <laughs> down, you know. Like it's not a big deal. Uh, but it, it – it, and, and we take that mentality across the board when it comes to smaller businesses. Well, you know, Bob over there likes to do it this way, and John likes to do it this way, and so we just allow everybody to just kind of make their own path well, that's great until it doesn't work well. And then, you know, who's at the end of the day, what brand is the one that's responsible for that, right? If, if your company is responsible for it, then what's your consistent methodology, your consistent path? Going back to the small business, a lot of times it's all in the owner's head and he doesn't take the time to document it and share it. So therefore nobody else can follow that same path because it's not been clearly defined. Yeah.
0: So we've been kind of, I mean, we've been. Touch- I really like this. We've been touching a lot, like internally, and and how those mm-hmm. things matter from the marketing and the the engineering and the focusing on you know working on yourself and what we just talked about. But um, it's all dancing around this customer experience. And so, from sure. the customer experience point of view, um, can you maybe just elaborate on what you feel is maybe most important in that customer experience or how Lockdoc has maybe handled that or shaped systems around that most important thing that you feel?
1: So we're focused heavily on core values. Uh, we've, we have our core values that we try to run all of our filters through, but the three actionables, I, and I we, ha, we have a Monday morning conference call, 745 every morning. Every person in our company is on it for 15 minutes. We have a couple of quick highlights around what's happening in the week or whatever. Uh, I get to close out that meeting, and uh, the thing that I am – very consistent with uh, is reminding our team of the three actionables that we can do every single day. So our core values are kind of like the guiding principles, the guidelines that we should stay with. But then when it comes down to the actionables, what should I be doing every day? Three things. One, helpful and kind communication. The way that we communicate internally to each other. So if I'm talking to a team member, I want to be helpful and kind. I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to respond nastily. I want to be helpful and kind, generous. Secondly, is uh, fast response. If you text me, you call me, you email me, if you need help with something, I'm probably needing it quickly because that's why I've asked. So how do we elicit fast response internally? And then third is uh, solving problems. So at the end of the day, that's what we do as an organization as we solve problems, but we can start with that internally. If Sam needs help with something and I have the ability to help him, then I wanna work with him to solve that problem. And my concept with that, and we've talked about that a lot, is if we do those three things internally, it is natural, ever so natural for us to do that externally. If we're doing the opposite of those three things internally, if we're talking like jerks to each other, cussing each other out, and uh, just totally irresponsible, if we are uh, slow responding internally, if we don't really care about responding to emails or text messages or whatever internally, and if we're not helping to solve problems internally internally, then how difficult is it for us to flip 180 degrees externally to do that with our customers? So customer experience for me is all about the internal experience first. And if we do that and we focus on that, which is my job, right, and that's our leadership's job is to make sure that that's being handled internally. If that's the case, externally is going to happen on a high level of consistency. So those are the three actionables that we talk about a lot. To measure against that, we do, you know, customer survey. So every single time that we finish a job for somebody, it sends them uh, an email. Uh, we get probably about 15% response on it. So it's not, you know, it's, it's a sampling, which is what you're going to get anywhere. Um, of, uh, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely are you to recommend us to a friend or a colleague? So, you know, concept of a net promoter score. And um, we measure that on a, on a regular basis, and we report at, uh, report on it every single Monday morning on that conference call. So we're trying to roll that into a a consistent cycle where, one, if we're doing those three things, helpful and kind communication, fast response, and solving problems, then it's going to show up in those reports. If we start to see those reports um, uh, lower or we get some low scores, then we're going to go back in and figure out it's most likely one of three of those things, if not all of them.
0: Wow. That, yeah, that is, that is excellent advice. I mean, if you can if and the three those three things i imagine create like a, as you try to make them actionable they create a culture and and that culture kind of emanates from the inward out you know and in, into what lock doc does online what lock doc does in your building the, those sorts of things
1: yeah it's it, i mean the thing that I've picked up from other people that are significantly wiser and smarter than me are is, is creating that level of consistency. And again, it's all starting kind of what we do inside these four walls um, and how we operate here. And if we start to sense that that's slipping here, then it's most likely slipping externally as well. But it's uh, a wise man, uh, Lucas Baselli, who's the CEO of Asable Americas, uh, basically says the um, the the easiest thing to change is the thing that is farthest away from the customer. Mm. Yeah. So the, when you look at your organization, where is the closest thing or the farthest thing away from the customer? Cause that is the easiest thing to start a change and it's going to get you the most impact all the way to the end of the customer. So you as an individual, if you don't feel respected in the workplace, you don't feel that you're valued in the workplace. You don't feel that, uh you know you the products that you're installing are quality how are you going to communicate that to the customer you're going to show up late you're going to be a jerk to them you're not going to care about what's going on you're going to put things in sloppily because that's the way that you feel that it's being carried out so if i can change that at the start then you're going to get the biggest impact on yeah, the long term
0: definitely so from the customer experience we move into the the bank aspect and i've been I tailored this question to you just because I've followed lock doc for a while. And I know that you guys do invest back. Um, and I think actually lock doc was probably one of the earlier companies, if not the first that I started seeing internal training from a standpoint mm-hmm. of having all your guys sit and, and learn a little bit every week so that they're growing and that they're learning. I, I know that, Growing and and learning more and being excellent in my craft and being the better tech, that's something I say often on the podcast is hashtag be the better tech. Um, and it's just this idea that you are out there to put in better work every single time. Um, that has been a passion of mine, but I do feel that it's almost been fueled by the guys that I've worked alongside in my career who have not wanted that. And... They're just trying to get to beer o'clock and it is what it is and we'll run it this way, it's fine, don't worry about it. And it's like, yeah, but that's not excellent and why wouldn't you wanna be excellent? So um, my question for you then is on, with LockDoc, how do you invest back into your company once, you, uh, once you've been you know, paid and you've allocated funds to that investment, what does that look like for you guys?
1: That's a very uh very interesting question and i don't uh know if that was on this sheet that you sent me so this is kind of off the cuff all right so if it was i didn't understand it that way here's here's the deal um so as an organization uh and i'm i feel like we are very fortunate in this aspect myself and my business partner again both came through the uh, the ranks so to speak right so understanding exactly what it takes to do the work um we also were very focused on reinvestment and growth so you know a lot of companies may be depleting their their net income or their profits annually um, to benefit the owner um and what we had established early on was a mentality of reinvestment into the organization because we were looking at it from a long-term growth standpoint Uh, So with that said, um, you know, everything that we do is very structured, very budgeted um, and uh, very, uh, very target based because that's, you know, the the old adage, what's measured is managed. That works. Right. So we put forth dollars and time. uh, So it's not just dollars, but time into people. Um, And we do that through our, you know, our regular scheduled meetings. And then we have not been overly successful with it but we continue to try to reiterate to get better at it on continued education so we have an entire training facility dedicated here and we also have a training director designated for that so a person that is only job is focused on training he does not go out and do service calls and then come back and do training he is a training director Um, and we have a training uh section of our uh, facility set up so it's about say, a 1,000 square feet of space that has multiple doors, um, access control panels, you know, wiring, all that stuff. So we can practice drilling, cutting, installing any type of hardware. Um, So, And we do that also at the onset of uh, hiring. We've got a a training program that each employee goes through. The continued education thing is the one thing that I wish we were better at, and we're continuing to try to improve on it, which is that a – person is constantly coming back in for additional certifications or different uh, training methodologies to keep it fresh but we also do that every Wednesday morning we have had this for about 16 years every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Uh, barring and I, I guess I'm probably too real when I say these things barring Christmas Thanksgiving and the fourth of July um, so, so three weeks out of the year, we don't have a Wednesday morning meeting, but outside of that, we have a Wednesday morning meeting that is 90 minutes long. Um, and we've had several different versions of it, but it always starts with an all hands in the room. Um, we feed everybody breakfast and we do a, uh, we start out the meeting with one positive thing. Everybody shares what's something positive that's happened in your world over the last seven days. Um, just to kind of get a temperature of what's going on. And. Um, to start the, 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 meeting on a positive note, like let's get our mindset on, uh, on optimism and positivity. So we do that. And then we'll have some important information. Most of the weeks we have breakouts. So we separate everybody because we've gotten such a larger group. Now it's harder to disseminate information to everybody at the same level. So we do breakouts and we send them off into different subgroups, um, and they'll go through different cycles. So um, say the, the locksmith service team will go, and they'll do a training on door closers. Maybe the next week they'll go do a training on uh, the proper way to put in a purchase request, and then the next week they'll go do some app development training where they learn how to do a new process in our software. Um, and then everybody kind of rotates around. So we do that every week. And then once a month we uh, do a business meeting, with our entire company. Everybody comes in, we go over our financials, we go over our targets, we report on uh, the previous month. So uh, whatever day we're recording this on, the next meeting that we have is actually our business meeting. So we'll go over the previous month's information, each team reports on their process and their or their progress. And then we'll talk about the company as a whole. Um, and then we also do uh, a profit sharing program associated with that. Uh, to try to reinvest back into our team, so um, you know there there's a lot of that time spent, and and I've heard a lot because I I get a lot of questions about that. Is do you realize how much money that you're you know time and money that you're losing by having that all hands meeting every every week? And I'm like, I think it's vital. Like I I can't see a world without it at this point. Um, it is. A way to connect it's a way to sit down and let people know that we care about more than just them producing a service call or turning a screw or answering a phone or creating an invoice whatever the case may be this is where we're headed as a company this is where how far we've made it this is where we want to go um and here's ways that we can get better we'll have classes um a couple of weeks ago we had a class for our administrative staff on better ways to use google workspace so uh, tips and tricks for google docs tips and tricks for google sheets uh because that's the platform that we use and if they're better at it then they're going to be better at it like they, so that's a reinvestment of of resources that doesn't teach them how to turn a screw better um we have had classes we are big on uh personality assessment so we'll take time and teach uh how each person's uh characteristics of their personality interacts with others because that's an investment in people if I know that this person is going to get triggered if I come at them you know, in a certain way, well, I, that is a huge improvement because now I could have a better conversation with that person versus just ticking them off every time that I walk in the room. That's a people investment. And it reduces um, conflict in the workplace. It reduces wasted time because people don't communicate at the same level. Like, there's more to training than just teaching people how to install hardware. Figuring out how to work better as a human is so underrated and uh, so undervalued and we push it all off and say that's that's not for us. We're, you know, we're a blue collar work environment. Well, no, but you also make each other angry every time you walk in the door because, you know, that guy's grouchy and nobody knows how to communicate with him.
0: Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Um <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that and that guy just popped in your head because you know who he is <laughs> that's right
0: uh, wonderful yeah that's those are wonderful ways to invest and I'm so glad that you you see the value and you focus on the the personality types and and how they interact with one another maybe what their wings are do you know the Enneagram
1: okay. uh, yes so we don't we don't do we don't use Enneagram. We've used Myers Briggs. Okay. Um, I, I did a lot of research on Enneagram, and then we moved over to uh, this platform called uh, Culture Index. Um, there's a few different versions of it out there, but the one we use it basically has like a seven point characteristic and shows you know how people align with each other. Uh, my gosh, it is hugely accurate, yeah. um, like wild. So the thing that I the thing that I struggled with with Enneagram was um like the identification around it and then it's a little bit more broad mm-hmm. so you it kind of puts people in some bigger buckets and then you have some variations yeah. on it um the the one we use puts people in the same type of big buckets but it also gives you the um i'm trying to think of a good a good analogy here it's uh it gives you the 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 system preferences of each person as well so you can dial in the equalization right so uh where where you and i may be very similar I may have uh, a a higher uh, emotional status than logical. So you may approach things very logically first, and then emotionally. I may approach them emotionally first and then logically. Well, we can look everything else exactly the same, but if we bring you an issue, you may go, hmm, well, let me process this from a logical standpoint first, and I um, they bring it to me, and I'm going to throw the table and flip stuff around because I approach it from an emotional standpoint. Um, and that's a huge difference where, um, the Enneagram stuff doesn't, uh, always take those things into consideration. Right.
0: And that's called a seven point index.
1: It's called culture, culture index. index,
0: culture index. Awesome. Yeah. yeah that's a, mm-hmm. that's a peach. I feel like someone just grabbed that and is like, Oh, I got to figure out this tech. <laughs>
1: It is, it's a game changer for us. I mean, you can Google it, culture index. Um, it's, it is, a, it, we started it probably four years ago, hardcore. And um, man, I'm super passionate about it, but it's, it is a, it was a game changer for us. It, you know, it's, it's one of these little things that you pick up over the course of business. It's like, my goodness, if I'd have had that 10 years ago, if I'd have had that 15 years ago, how much faster would we have accelerated growth? Number one, because I would have understood myself a lot better. I, I have so many quirks that I you know have worked around for so many years, and once I understood them and understood why they were that way, well, I can I can embrace that. Man, I can run hard at it now because I can say, like, hey, I would love to say that I'm going to do this, but I know better. <laughs> if I don't write it down right now or put it on my calendar or if I don't delegate it to somebody, then you know it's not going to happen yeah. because I know that now, but. 10 years ago I would have pretended like I was going to do everything so um, and then and then learning that across the board learning understanding how to communicate one of the huge things that I have found value in with just culture index and I'll leave you with this is it's a natural for me and a lot of people that you know kind of run and operate a business to assume that everybody understands what I'm thinking or what I intend to say when I say what I say so as as to say (laughs) (laughs) um uh, it, when I say we want to go, uh, yeah, the example goes, we want to start a branch in Charleston, South Carolina. Okay. So that's a statement that I've made over the last year. I can naturally assume that everybody in the room understands that we need to, uh, make sure our system is scalable and we have crafted out a way to add an additional branch that we have started looking for office space. That we know that we're probably going to have to relocate somebody. Uh, do we have any acquisition uh, targets down there? What are our main customer components down there? You know, what uh, you know? Do we have any vendor connections down there? Do we have any existing customers that can expand down there? Those are all the things that are in my head. But all I said was, we need to start a branch in Charleston. Then I could very easily get frustrated when I approach our app development team and say, "Did you guys get the branch expansion set up?" And they're like. <laughs> no, you didn't tell us to do that. And I'm like, I told you we were going to go start up in Charleston. Yeah, that is a natural thing. So, you know, one of our core values is defined expectations. Don't be frustrated with unmet expectations if you've not clearly set them. That is 100% a core value that is put in place for Chad Lingavilt because I can get easily frustrated with people if we're not meeting the expectations that I not, did not clearly define. Um, And and that's something that I learned dramatically through Culture Index, that that is naturally wired into me. So now that I know that, when I say things like, we need to start a branch in Charleston, South Carolina, I stop myself and say, I need help putting a plan together and documenting it. So (laughs) let me grab the two people associated with it and get the thoughts out of my head, get it over to you so you know what the actionables are, and then is there anything that I'm lacking clarity on? and then we can progress forward from there. I didn't know that 10 years yeah. ago. I just assumed that everybody else was ignorant of what I was saying and just didn't care. You know, So you know, it's that, that's why I say it's a game changer for me as a whole, but then for everybody in our organization because we can naturally see this guy over here, he's not gonna follow up on details. So don't give him the job that he's gotta follow up on details because that's not a strong suit. You're asking him to do something that he's not naturally capable of doing and you're gonna—he's gonna—he's gonna fail on it nine times out of ten. So don't expect him to be perfect. So yeah, that's the lessons I've learned awesome. from
0: it. So from—I uh, always like to do a humbling question towards the end, um, sure. just to see like where people are, because a lot of times this podcast, you know, draws out such good information from that bid to that mm-hmm. bank that it's also like, well, how. What, are, what is someone in your position looking forward like to? How are you fixing things that maybe you're dealing with? So what's one area that you feel like um, in, the, in this process that maybe you feel LockDoc is soft on or you'd like to get better at um, or you'd like to see improvement in?
1: Yep. So uh, that's an easy question for me to answer. And I agree with you. Most of these podcasts are chest thumping. Uh, These are all the amazing things that we do. And and nobody really wants to talk about the bad stuff. We're terrible with follow up. Um, And I would say that it's a cultural issue, mostly stemming from me, um, unfortunately, because it's just not a strong suit that I have embraced. I've put a lot of uh, factors in place and delegated a lot of that to other people so that we've gotten better at it. Um, but it shows itself in a couple of different ways. One, we don't do a really good job following up on estimates. Um, We've put a lot of automation in place to try to help assist with it, but the fact is, if we send somebody a quote, and this was really bad three years ago, if we send somebody a quote and they didn't approve it, then we had no idea if they got it or not. So we would just waste time putting quotes together. Um, It's like, well, we did a really good job. We put together 1,000 quotes this year, but also only 500 of them were seen the other 500 are in the ether somewhere that nobody knows about. So that was one thing, but we were not good about picking up the phone and making sure somebody got it. We've put some automation to help with that, but we're still bad at just picking up the phone and making sure somebody got a quote. But it also shows itself internally. When somebody asks a question about something, we at times don't have good mechanisms for follow up. So you come in and say, can we do this new initiative? And, um, We have a conversation about it, and it's maybe a really good idea or maybe it's a terrible idea. But it gets buried into the 400 other things that came up that day, and then there's not really a good closure point to go back and say, you know what, we decided this is not a good idea, or yes, this is a good idea, and we're going to run after it. So those are two ways that they kind of show up from a follow-up standpoint internally and externally, but it's just something that we uh, really continually need improvement in.
0: Yeah, I think that that is um – industry-wide from just like the even from like construction to security to low voltage um that that is a hurdle that i don't think you're the only one trying to get over so yeah that's uh that's good so i guess my final question then for the podcast and this has been excellent information i really appreciate you coming on here uh like i've said is based on your experience moving through everything that we've talked today all the way from the beginning of What the, you know, the marketing and the first experience they're getting out of LockDoc, all the way to the end there where um, we were, you know, tying up how we invest it back in once we get it. What do you feel like the most critical part is in the completion of the job from start to finish?
1: I mean, I guess the 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 simple answer and I I I don't want to try to overly complicate it, it's just doing what you say you're going to do. You know, um and, and it's it's probably the thing that's cost us the most amount of money over the the mm-hmm. course of of my career is if we say we're going to do something, we stick with it until it gets done even if it's not profitable. Um and yeah, it's it's frustrating at times because you uh I think the biggest thing that a lot of people do is they overpromise and under-deliver. And we've probably been guilty of it as well. I can't say that we're perfect by any stretch. But um, you know, just doing what you say you're going to do. If we promise somebody something and then for whatever reason things change, figuring out a, a way to own it and then resolve it um you know if if we said that we were going to put in a new door and frame and then we got there and we figure out that the frame is going to be impossible to take out we told them that they were getting a new door and frame so what are the s the what are the elements that we have to go through what are the processes that we have to go through to get them a new door and frame if that's what the the choice is um it's it's really you know huge and, and again i'm trying not to oversimplify it but that's at the end of the day you're not going to have a business if you continue to um, to not do what you say you're going to do. Like it's, that's just a a hurdle that you're going to not be able to overcome.
0: Excellent. Excellent, man. Thanks so much, uh, for being on the podcast. That's it. That's it. That's all the questions I got today. But, uh, like I mentioned, you know, before we got started I'd love to have you back man and just kind of talk about your story and what you think of the industry on on that aspect but I really appreciate you coming on and uh, I'm glad that we got this out this is good stuff they're gonna love this one so I'm gonna pump it up and can you just I always like to have my people end where they're telling uh, they're telling the listeners where to find them so can you tell us where we can find maybe you and and lock and those sorts of things
1: so early on in uh, in life I didn't have the 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 foresight to come up with a really cool uh, handle uh, you know like uncle bear <laughs> It just was not wired in me with all of the marketing that I've thought about like that was never a deal so I'm pretty simple Chad lingafelt the only hard part is spelling my last name but Chad lingafelt is pretty much the handle on Twitter Instagram Facebook LinkedIn wherever um, and then LockDoc security again <laughs> overly simplified LOC DOC INC across all the platforms um, you can you can google us up and find us pretty rapidly um, and uh, we, you know we it, on YouTube as well we've got uh, tons of videos on YouTube similar to this uh, but we also have some other cool stuff on there like if you're into locksmithing right? right we've got uh, three years of lock pick, locksmith picking championships that we do it's one of the fun things we do in uh march every year the march madness Mm -hmm. style and um so there's some some fun videos there to watch on that and uh, just some of the kind of neat stuff that we're trying to do inside but um yeah chadlingafelt and lock dock inc is the easiest way to find me on all the awesome
0: well you guys heard it check it out Uh, Go give it a follow and a subscribe because now more than ever, after having a podcast, I understand how important that is to get a like and a follow. Um, It really pumps that stuff out there. So go follow Inc. and uh, Chad and check them out on YouTube and stuff like that. Thanks for coming on, man, and uh, we'll we'll have to have you back soon, but I appreciate it.
1: Anytime, man. Appreciate the invite. Thank you very much.